Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York. College football is changing and it's changed a lot since that confetti dropped in Houston on that January night. The day after we sat here and we told you, hey, here's the way too early top 10, top 12, whatever it was. And ever since that day, there's been a lot that's changed. Like I mentioned, Nick Saban, he's retired. Uh, the transfer portal has shown absolutely zero mercy to anybody. So with the dust starting to settle, on some of these pivots across the college football world. What is our current top 12? Because that's kind of the age we're entering into, right? Like it's no longer top 10, top four. It's a field of 12 when it comes to the college football playoff. So this is not a projection. This is not a prediction. But we're going to give you our top 12 teams as it stands here in January for the 2024 season. Welcome into the hard count. This is the People's College Football Show. We talk ball every single day right here. If you have not yet subscribed, man, now is the time. It's junkie season, as we talk about it right here. Full game YouTube reruns. Heck, maybe if you're a little bit more on the psycho side of things, you're doing full college game day reruns into a college football rerun to kind of simulate that college football Saturday feel. If you do that, no judgment. We do that here. Wednesday, January 24th, 2024, the last one on the face of this rock. So we're going to make it a great one, giving you our top 12 teams. Also... Hard count meetings, they're still rolling. Yes, we are still going through different programs across the country. What's going on in Nebraska? What's next for Matt Rule and company over there? Because 2023 felt a lot like previous years if you're a Nebraska fan from a results side of things. But results and what's going on internally process, there's that word that Matt Rule is frequently talking about at his press conferences. The process in-house in Lincoln, I think, is still going on. 
I know it's still going on. Where do things stand for them? What's next when it comes to Nebraska? We'll talk about that. Also, your unpopular college football takes that you strongly believe in. This is on my Twitter page. This is pinned right now to the top of my profile. And y'all have been answering that in elite fashion. We, we did a, a three of those takes yesterday. Got a few more today. We got some strong takes that are unpopular on Army-Navy and that rivalry. Some takes on Colorado. And one fan uh, had a very strong take on how they feel about Miami and what they won't do going forward. So we'll give you some takes there. Or we'll give you our takes on those takes, rather give you our thoughts there. Um, also got to talk a little, bit, a little bit about what's going on uh, in Ann Arbor. As we're on the air right now, Michigan, uh, their head coach is still Jim Harbaugh. It sounds like that is going to change here potentially within the next day or two. Heck, maybe before the end of this show. The report is that Michigan, or not Michigan, but Jim Harbaugh, Michigan's head coach, is within striking distance of a deal with the L.A. Chargers. So, with that being said, we're going to make our case for Sharon Moore. We've talked about her on this show several times. We'll do it again at the end of the show. Sharon Moore should be the next head coach. We'll talk through why that should be. We're glad to have you here. I'll say it one more time before we get rolling here. Make sure you're subscribed. We have right around 70% of the audience still yet to lock in with us. That's 70% of people already watching. So if you're watching right now, double check you're subscribed. We appreciate you for that. We'll have ourselves a good old off season. Uh, college football doesn't really stop. So neither does the show. We appreciate you for that. All right, let's get right to it, man. Our post-transfer portal and post-Nick Saban retirement top 12 teams in the country. Because no longer is it top four, the who's in sort of commercials. Those, those are gone. You might still have those commercials, but that bracket is going to look a little bit larger with eight more teams. And Alabama, we viewed them a certain way, I think, after that confetti dropped in Houston. How do we view them now? Let's give you our top 12 teams for the 2024 season. These are not predictions. These are not projections. This is very much so a feel on these teams before we get into spring practice and we get more portal movement and all that. So at number 12, let's get right to it, man. I got Utah at number 12. And for me, Utah may be one of the most high floor teams in America. Kyle Whittingham, every single year, dude, you just know what you're going to get in his kind of team. Like three of the last four real seasons, he's had double digit wins. I say real seasons because of the last five, they had a five game season they played. We're not really going to factor that in. The bottom line is they're always tough. They pretty much play the same brand of football every single year, tough on the line of scrimmage. And Cam Rising is back for another year in the saddle as the quarterback at Utah. Didn't play last year, got a red shirt. So I think they're poised for a very big season in the Big 12. And the Big 12, we'll talk about them a little bit more later. But there's uh, some spots at the top of that conference in terms of most talented rosters that are wide open. So Utah for us, number 12, post Nick Saban retirement and post transfer portal. Now, speaking of the transfer portal, one team that uh, has continued to crush it in the portal is Florida State. Now, Florida State, for some of y'all, they might be a little bit low on this list. That's all right. I think they have the probably the, the greatest chance to ascend up these rankings. They're just replacing a lot of key pieces, right? Keon Coleman, gone to the NFL. Johnny Wilson, gone to the NFL. Jaheim Bell, Jordan Travis. Like a lot of staples from last year's team that went undefeated during the regular season that won the ACC, they're now gone from that roster. So that's the unfortunate part. But the fortunate part, like we already talked about, Mike Norvell just does the portal. Like that's, that's his thing. They crush the portal every single year. They're doing better on the recruiting side of things with success on the field. But when it comes to transfer portal acquisitions, the key one I'm curious about is DJ Uyunglele. Back to the ACC. They will play Clemson this season. That'll be must-see TV. My question for DJU is, does he keep the offense multiple? 
Because one of the things that you loved last year as a Florida State fan was how balanced that operation was offensively. And DJU has had some inconsistency throughout the course of his career with pushing the ball downfield. Has that been sort of taken care of since his time at, at Clemson? Did his time at Oregon State sort of help him get back on track? And uh, was it a Clemson thing? Was it a DJU thing? I don't know, but we'll get a very good gauge for it this upcoming season. Last thing I'll say about Florida State and DJU, uh, Mike Norvell got to see a lot of DJU during his time at Florida State and with DJU being at Clemson. So if there was anybody that had a strong take on DJU, positive or negative, it was Mike Norvell. So the fact that he went after him in the transfer portal should tell us a little bit about how he feels about him, regardless uh, the way they've attacked the portal with those 14 transfers, trying to fill some of those holes that they're losing. Um, that's going to be a big factor in their success. So Florida State at number 11 for us in this uh, way, way too early college football rankings in the preseason with our top 12. Uh, at number 10, I got Missouri. And Missouri, man, the question for me is, can they recreate the magic as well as the heat from 2023? Because Missouri, as good as they were last year, they had four wins by one score. And they finished the year, their last six games, going five and one. They're only lost there being to Georgia, with obviously the biggest win coming their last game of the season against Ohio State. Brady let him cook, is back at quarterback. Luther Burden is back. Theo Weiss is back. No Cody Schrader. But this is a team that when they got rolling at the end of last season, this 12-team playoff was built for them. Like, I don't think anybody wanted to play Missouri when it came to that 12-team playoff if you had seen them in the first round. So can they recreate what they had going in 2023 and pick up where they left off in 2024, even without Cody Schrader? We'll see. But Eli Drinkwitz getting a little bit of an extension from the powers that be at Missouri. Boss moves by them. I like the roster. Can they get the momentum going, though, from 2023 and carry it into 2024? Missouri at number 10. And number nine, I'm trusting the trend here, baby, with Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. They're at number nine for me. They went eight and four. Marcus Freeman's first year as the head coach in South Bend. Nine and three this past season. So, okay, we're taking incremental improvements. What does year three look like? I like the roster. My question is, can Mike Denbrock do with Riley Leonard what he did with Jaden Daniels? Because I think that system, if they run a similar kind of offense that they did in Baton Rouge, I think it plays pretty well to his skill set. Riley Leonard, is he the dual threat that Jaden Daniels is? No, but he's still a guy that can tuck it and hurt you if, if he is able to get downhill with some steam. Like, different kind of player, but similar skill set in that regard. If they can be explosive offensively, I really like the young talent they have. Benjamin Morrison, he's back. Um, Jaden Greathouse, obviously, he's back. Like they, they got some dudes here that can really contribute, that cycle up from a season ago. So... I trust Marcus Freeman. He is continuing to challenge everything within that program. And I love the fact that he is making no negotiations about what they expect in Notre Dame. You're not playing for conference titles. You're playing for national titles. So they keep pushing the envelope every single offseason. This offseason has been no exception. Notre Dame, I like the trend they have right now. They're for me at number nine right now. Now at number eight, I got Penn State. And for Penn State, man, that window is still very much wide open because we sat here last offseason and we talked about Drew Aller and how good he could be and Nick Singleton and Catron Allen coming off their freshman season, going to be super sophomores. And then you had another 10-2 season, which I'm telling you, m most places they would love to be 10-2. I mean, some coaches are getting bonuses at 10-2. The good folks in Happy Valley are, un are unhappy with 10-2 because those two losses coming to Michigan and to Ohio State. Okay, so there's kind of this, this feeling of like a ceiling on Penn State. But going back to what I said at the top of this thing, that window for them is still very much wide open. That young talent gets another season of experience now. 
They bring back Nick Singleton. They bring back Abdul Carter. Drew Aller gets another year as a starting quarterback. If they can be more explosive, sky's the limit for them. Because we saw last year that there was no second year for them. And we saw that probably most um, most exclusively, I suppose, in that game against Ohio State where they weren't able to match them when Marvin Harrison Jr. kind of took over or in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl when uh, Ole Miss kind of started to pour it on. Like If they can have an, an element where they can push the ball downfield and couple that with that young backfield and then couple that with how good their defense I expect to be next season, even without Manny Diaz being the defensive coordinator, still a lot of good personnel. The window is still open. If they can be more explosive offensively, they're going to have a chance. Also worth noting, this 12-team format, I think also really benefits a team like Penn State. Because that's fine if you can't beat Michigan and you can't beat Ohio State. 10-2 gets you in the playoff. So for Penn State, if they can be more explosive, they're going to have a chance. They're going to have a chance. So Penn State at number eight. Now this is why we got to do this kind of list. Because uh, like I said, a lot of shakeups. The transfer portal is, is given and taken. Nick Saban and his retirement obviously set ripple effects across the college football landscape. At number seven, we got Alabama. Now, after the national championship game, the day after, rather, you probably had Alabama somewhere within your top five, top six. We got them at seven. The roster is still very good. Like, the cupboard might not be stocked how it was, but it's not bare. The real question I have is, how does it mesh in year one with Kalen DeBoer and the pieces that he still has in Tuscaloosa? Because Jalen Milrow, as good as he is, he is not Michael Penix Jr., he is not a guy you're going to plug into that offense you ran a season ago and expect them to throw it 57% of the time. That's not who Jalen Milrow is. That's not who Alabama wants to be. Or Alabama as a fan base would want to be, I would imagine. So can they work with these pieces and make them fit? Because Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer talked a lot about you know adapting to their personnel and playing to their strengths. So I think that's the case. I don't think it'll look the same, but how do you pivot is my question. How do you pivot from what you did last year now with Jalen Milrow playing quarterback for you? And it has to be said, man, having... Almost 30 guys transfer out. How do the guys that are still in Tuscaloosa pick up the slack and step up in their absence? Because, like I said, still a lot of good players. Nick Saban has recruited at a top two level for pretty much the last five, six years. Like, pretty much top two classes only in Tuscaloosa right now on campus if you signed out of high school. But you know, still, like, the guys that are there probably are guys that are not necessarily... Uh, a ton of guys that got a ton of snaps. Like there, there's some inexperience you're going to have to deal with here for Alabama and stabilizing that in year one for Kalen DeBoer is going to be massive. Now, again, 12-team format. If Alabama goes 10-2, and two, heck, maybe 9-3. and three, If it's the right kind of 9-3, and three, they could still be in the playoff. I have questions, but from a roster standpoint and from a head coach standpoint, I'm going to go ahead and put Alabama at number seven as of right now. So now we kind of break into this top six. And this is sort of how we did our rankings throughout the season with uh, – you know, our first two out in top four. I mean, we're nearing the territory now in our rankings where we're just going to have essentially the, the teams that are auto bids. Now, again, this is not predictions, but this is how we see this top six shaking out. Again, if you're not already subscribed, would encourage you to do so. We appreciate you for that. All right, at number six, I got the national champs, the Michigan Wolverines. Now, my assumption here with putting them at six is that Jim Harbaugh will not be the head coach. And in fact, Sharon Moore will be the head coach. If Sharon Moore is not the head coach, I might feel differently about where I put Michigan. I might put them a little bit lower. The reason for that being, I have them at six because they have the culture and the process that won a national championship last year still intact if they make Sharon Moore the next head coach. 
Now, if Jim Harbaugh doesn't leave, which, again, I expect him to, based on everything that's being said right now in the college football world and the NFL world, that championship culture is still intact is the bottom line I want to make sure we talk about here. The key players for, for Michigan, a lot of those guys are still back. Like, yes, you lose J.J. McCarthy to the league. You lose Blake Quorum to the league. But Colston Loveland, he's back. Donovan Edwards, he's back. Mason Graham was a human wrecking ball, especially in that college football playoff last year. The whole world got to see big number 55. He's back. There's a lot of key pieces here. The bones are really good at Michigan. So my question now, and depending on how, uh, or I guess, depending on how they address this, will kind of dictate how good Michigan is next year. Uh, what happens at quarterback? Because the original thought was, well, they could go to the portal and try and land a guy to elevate that room. And Will Rogers last night announced, hey, he's going back to Washington. He's withdrawing his name from the transfer portal. So you're looking at the options in the portal, and it, it feels like it's pretty slim. Talia Tagovailoa was a guy I was talking about for a period of time. He's not getting a waiver, so he's gone to the league. Like In terms of who you have to draw from right now in the transfer portal, there's not a ton of options. So your options are either take somebody random in, in this transfer portal cycle, which I don't know who you'd even take. Um, Alex Orgy could be a guy you roll with, and he's obviously a good athlete. I just truly haven't seen him throw the football very much, so I don't know what he brings to the table there. Um, he could be a guy that contributes to that ground control kind of style of offense Michigan's played the last couple of seasons. Maybe you just double down on that with him as your quarterback. The other door you could step into is that post-spring transfer portal window and try and take a quarterback there. Now, the only concern there, for me at least, is those 15 practices you get are the most important practices of your season. They set the tone for everything you're going to do going forward. And especially for the quarterback, man, I think it's pretty crucial to have a guy in there getting those reps during those 15 practices. Um, so if you feel strongly about what you have in-house in a negative sense and you feel strongly about who ends up being available in that second portal window, more power to you. But that's going to be a very big variable, obviously, for Michigan as it pertains to their success in 2024. But if you make sure I'm more the head coach, I think you solidify a really high floor for your season and you keep that championship culture and standards in-house you keep a good thing going. So I have Michigan at six in our rankings here. Now, at number five, I got Ole Miss. I got Ole Miss at number five. Coach Kiffin and the boys, man, the time is now for them. Do not get it twisted. They are all in on 2024. Their path to the college football playoff, it's steeper, sure. It's definitely wider. No longer do you have to, or no longer do you have to win your side of the SEC and make it to Atlanta and then win that, and hopefully you find your way in the college football playoff like no more divisions this upcoming season in the SEC. It's full-on Hungry Game style. You don't have to beat Georgia. You don't have to beat Alabama. You know what I mean? Like you, you could do, drop two games and still make the college football playoff if you're, if you're Lane Kiffin and company. Now, that's not in the plan, but just so we're on the same page there, that is possible for this team. They have some key players returning. Most notably, Jackson Dart and Trey Harris. I mean, those dudes were a lethal one-two punch last season. Jackson Dart took a huge step from year one to year two in Lane Kiffin's offense. From two to three, what happens there? If he takes even another evolution in his progress as the quarterback there, they will be even more dangerous. Okay, you feel pretty good about what they have offensively. And then they've also engaged in portal combat. Several teams are doing it. Ole Miss is doing it as good as anyone. The number three portal class right now, at the time of us being live, they've addressed some crucial spots. Most notably, defensive line. Prince Leo Manmielin, Walter Nolan, two top 10 players in the transfer portal, both on the defensive line, both experienced in the SEC, both taking their talents to Oxford, Mississippi. Oh, and by the way, Juice Wells, too, stud wide receiver at South Carolina. He's coming to Oxford, too. 
Oh, and Logan Diggs. You lose Quinshawn Judkins. That's too bad. You bring in Logan Diggs, who also has played ball in the SEC. You expect him to be a factor for you in that backfield. So across the board here for Ole Miss, like they've pushed all their chips to the table, said, hey, we're all in. Let's do this. The time is now. And I like their roster a lot. I like their momentum a lot. I'm a big fan of Jackson Dart. For me, Ole Miss is at number five. I love where they sit right now in January, heading into 2024. Now, at number four, I got Oregon. And Oregon has reloaded as well as anybody in the country via the portal. You lose Bo Nix, your leader, your steady hand, your experienced guy. So what do you do? You go in and bring in left-handed Bo Nix for my money. Still a good athlete, played a ton of football. Dylan Gabriel from UCF and Oklahoma, most recently Oklahoma, is going to run the show for you. I think that's as proven a commodity as you could find across the college football landscape playing quarterback for you. I love that. Then you lose Troy Franklin, stud wide receiver for you. Absolute dog. You go out and get arguably the best offensive player in the portal. That's a skill player in Evan Stewart from Texas A&M. Super talented, tons of ability. I don't expect them to take any steps back offensively. And as we sit here in January, like the whole preseason conversation around which, uh, you know, which, which college football team you're ranking where, like for me, a lot of that conversation, because we can't predict what's going to happen in certain games just yet. Like what happens on, you know, the fourth quarter when it's, Georgia to Alabama in September and it's it's a three-point game like that's that's such a wormhole to dive down it's not really fair for us to do what I think is fair for us to do right now though is talk about leaders in college football who the head coaches are and there's not a college football head coach that I trust more right now than Dan Lanning like the way that he carries himself the way that he does things his team follows and so that means they're going to be tough they're going to have a strong culture going to be competitive as heck they're going to be aggressive so all of those components being who I believe Dan Lanning is, and as a result, being who Oregon football is, that makes them scary when you pair that with this roster and what they've done through the portal. So I love where Oregon sits right now, moving into the Big Ten. I do not expect them to have this recalibration period to take a step back for me. They are number four in our top 12 as we sit here in January. Now at number three, we've got the Texas Longhorns. Pause for dramatic effect there. Texas, to me, is poised for another run. Now I'm interested in the defense. There's no more Byron Murphy, no more Tavondre Sweat. Those dudes were absolute hosses for them in the middle of that defense. But when you look at this offense, man, I think they have what's required to make another go at what they did last year. Now, there's no replacing Adonai Mitchell. There's no replacing Xavier Worthy. But you went out and got Isaiah Bond, went out and got uh, Silas Bolden, went out and got Amari Nyblack. Like, they got some dudes now that can stretch the field for you, and I think they are up to par with the ingredients that Steve Sarkeesian needs to get that offense cooking. Most importantly now, they are experienced at the leadership positions. Like Steve Sarkeesian had already been there and done that as an OC. He'd already won a national title with Nick Saban. But the fact that he's now won a conference championship and made the college football playoff as a head coach. And oh, by the way, he's had a quarterback that's done that with him now going into year three of his system. I think that matters. I think that's going to give him a steady hand in a lot of these games in the SEC, especially on the road. They got some skins on the wall. Probably the biggest confidence booster is that win in Tuscaloosa last year by double digits. I like Texas a lot. I love what they're doing in the portal. Andrew McCuba, also one of the top safeties via the portal, is headed to Texas. I like where they sit right now for me. They're at number three. Now, these, these top two, quite honestly, honestly, this, this top three, any order you put it in, I don't think I'd have a ton of objections to where you ranked these teams. But at number two, I got the Ohio State Buckeyes. And just to make sure we're, we're on the same page here, post-national championship game, I don't think I would have had him at number two. But the way they have just attacked the portal, man, 
They've upped that roster talent quite a bit, in my opinion. And um, listen, when it comes down to for me with Ohio State, they have both the quantifiable and the unquantifiable in some really interesting spots. The quantifiable, obviously, is the roster talent. Like what they have on paper with Will Howard being a proven commodity at quarterback. I think he is an upgrade from Common Cord. He brings that mobile element to the offense. He's won some ball games, got a Big 12 championship on his resume. I think that matters. Quinshawn Judkins, did you need to go and add another running back? Maybe not, but you went and got the best running back in the portal to pair with Trevian Henderson, who has shown he is a dude when he's healthy. Caleb Downs, the best player in the portal, making his way to Columbus and joining a defense that was already going to be top 10, top 5 in the country with JT Tumaloa coming back, Jack Sawyer coming back. Like, I'm kind of sounding like I'm just listing off names like I'm an auctioneer here, but all those dudes are tier one kind of players that are going to contribute in a big way to what Ohio State wants to get done. So we talk about the quantifiable for Ohio State, the things that you can try and place a value on. Ohio State has that at a top two level, in my opinion. But the unquantifiable is what really makes them scary to me. Because right now, man, this team, they're kind of backed into a wall, backed into a corner a little bit, back against the wall, if you will. Ryan Day and this team has a very real sense of urgency because the standard's always what it is in Columbus. It's always win the Big Ten, beat Michigan, win national championships. But to not fulfill that several years in a row now and to do what they've done via the portal and up that talent level, the pressure is as high as it's been in Columbus, in my opinion. Now, I'm not saying if they don't come through on what they expect to do, there's going to be changes. I'm not saying that, but I am saying the pressure is immense. As it always is, it's kicked up a few notches. So you take that and you pair it with what they have in-house, that's dangerous. That's dangerous because Ohio State, the chip on their shoulder, I don't think has ever been more massive. The sense of urgency for them, I don't think has ever been more massive. And to be honest, that reminds me a lot of what that other team that they were playing against the last couple of years, that won a national title last year, had. Like, it gives me the same vibe. It gives me the same, like, this year is the year kind of feel to it. That's what they got to be thinking in-house, at least. They always think that, but you hear what I'm saying. The urgency and the chip on the shoulder, I think, makes Ohio State dangerous, especially when you pair that with the firepower they have on their roster. So for me, Ohio State sitting at number two in our early top 12. Now, last thing we got to get to here, at number one, no surprise, the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia lost the best player for a lot of people's money in America in Brock Bowers to the NFL. And we still sit here in January and say that's probably the best team in America. I don't have a ton of questions about them. I'm not saying they don't have weaknesses. I'm just saying I don't have a ton of concerns about Georgia heading into 2024. Because offensively, they got better through the portal, adding Trevor Etienne, um, adding Colby Young, adding London Humphreys, Michael Jackson. You bring back a Tier 1 quarterback in Carson Beck who gets another year in the system, which I think was a great move by him to come back for his NFL prospects and for what Georgia's going to be in 2024. And you talk about the defense, it's Kirby Smart and Glenn Schumann running the show. Enough said. Like, I don't think you have any reason to be concerned about the defense if those two individuals are involved. And similar to what I said about Ohio State, man, this is a team that's hungry. Like, Georgia, for the last couple of seasons, Kirby Smart has had to sort of manufacture the naysayers and sort of really push the, uh, the doubt into their face, like kind of grabbing a headline and then bring it to their attention. This Georgia team, they don't have to search for headlines. They don't have to search for, you know, people that are doubting them. A lot of people doubting them. A lot of people talking about Ole Miss right now or Ohio State, about Oregon, about the movement of the college football playoff going to 12 teams, about Texas. Like, there, there's a lot of buzz right now that's against what Georgia is right now. And I think overall, 
you hear those those headlines and for some teams that that kind of distracts them I think for Georgia that honestly just motivates them I think that's ammunition for Kirby Smart and company so all that's to say Georgia's dangerous because of their roster but similar to Ohio State they are more dangerous because of the chip they have on their shoulder and how hungry they are hungry Georgia is a dangerous Georgia do not get it twisted so to recap it for you our top 12 here post transfer portal in post Nick Saban retirement is as follows we got Utah at 12 we got Florida State at 11 Missouri at 10 Notre Dame at 9 Penn State at 8 Alabama down to 7 we'll see what they are with uh, the new Kalen DeBoer era getting started and a little bit of uh, movement on that roster a lot of movement on that roster Michigan at 6 assuming Sharon Moore is the head coach there Ole Miss at 5 Oregon at 4 Texas at 3 Ohio State at 2 and the Georgia Bulldogs at number 1 as we sit here in January, that's what we have for our top 12. And the crazy part, y'all, if we had a 12-team playoff with those 12 teams, I don't know how it would shake out when it comes to what would happen during the regular season. The fact that we could get those 12 teams in a tournament-style, you know, December into January, uh, that is wild. It's wild, and that is the new era of college football we are stepping into. So, here we go. Here we go. Long gone is the four-team playoff. Uh, Y'all had a lot of unpopular takes on the four-team playoff, which, quite frankly, we'll we'll get to in a little bit here, I think, at some point. But, like, I agree with y'all on those unpopular takes. Like, those aren't unpopular for us on this show. But even with that being said, um, let's get into those unpopular takes. Because, like I said, we uh, have that tweet pinned to my Twitter profile. Have a lot of y'all responding to that, so we appreciate y'all for that. Going to get to a lot of those throughout the course of this offseason. Going to get to a lot of those right now. Uh, To kind of set the table here, for those of y'all that don't know what I'm talking about, I tweeted out the other day, what are your unpopular college football takes that you strongly believe in? And y'all answered in full force, as you always do. So my man Say responded, and he's got a strong take that's unpopular on Miami. He says, Miami is never going to be the football powerhouse it once was. Want everyone to realize that. So Say Say, talking that cash, letting people know what it is. And he's referring to, obviously, uh, what Miami was in the 80s. Their three national titles they had during that decade, obviously extremely impressive. But the thought that Miami won't be what they were in the 80s, I don't think is a stretch. But I want to focus on that word powerhouse. That to me would equate to multiple conference titles, probably in the college football national title picture consistently. I don't know if it's fair to just assume they're not going to be a a powerhouse. Like never's a long time. (laughs) You know, like never say never is what I would say to that. But when it comes to what Miami was, I would focus less on recreating the 80s and more on what they are right now. Because to be honest, Miami right now reminds me a lot of Texas and what they were going into this past season and the way they were trending. Because remember, Texas, 5-7, and 8-4, and four, then they made the college football playoff and won their conference. Miami, 5-7 and seven in their first year under Mario Cristobal, 7-5 and five last year, a knee away from being 8-4. and four. What are they going to be in year three? We have the same questions we had about Texas as we do Miami right now. Hey, what do they have at quarterback? Quinn Ewers, is he going to be able to carry the load? Is he going to be able to be as good as advertised? We're asking that about Cam Ward right now. Yeah, he played Incarnate Word. Oh, that's nice. He put up good numbers in the, in the Pac-12, but like, can he do that in the ACC? Can he do that in a new place where Miami offensively is still seeming to get their bearings? I'm excited about Miami. I'm excited about Miami for a couple of reasons. Um, they did what they did last year, did Miami. I mean, again, they were should have taken a knee away from being 8-4. and four. They did it basically with no quarterback. 
Like Miami turned the ball over almost as much as anybody else in the country. And now you bring in Cam Ward, who I think is as good a transfer portal quarterback as there is in the country. And I think he also suits the offense much better under Shannon Dawson. Like Shannon Dawson's offense, he wants to be more air raid. I don't think they were able to be that because of what they were limited at with quarterback play last year. But like Cam Ward, he comes from the air raid background. He averaged 7.7 yards in attempt last year. He threw the ball for, I mean, I think it was north of uh, 3,000 yards last year. He was in there, maybe it was 2,700 yards last year. Bottom line, threw the ball for a lot of yards last year. Okay, yes, there were some fumble issues, but overall, from a skill set perspective, the tools that he possesses, I think it fits much more with what they want to be offensively. And so if you're able to cut down on those fumbles, the interceptions are already much less than what you have with Tyler Van Dyke in many more attempts. I feel good about the direction of that offense. And so kind of upping that talent level at the quarterback position, telling me you had an eight-win, give-or-take caliber team last year, and you get better at the most important position, that would excite me if I'm a, if I'm a Miami fan. On top of that, the young talent that Miami has in-house, that cycles up another year. Ruben Bain, dog for you last year. Francis Malagoa was just snowplowing people last year. I mean, when he got out there on a screen, it was just absolutely... I mean, it, it was uh, unwatchable if you were under the age of 14. That's the kind of violence Francis Malgo was putting on display out there. They got some dudes. That top 10 class as a whole in 2023 contributed in a big way this past year, and they cycle up. They get another year of experience. So you pair that with Cam Ward. I feel good about Miami. And this is not to throw shade at any conference, but I think the ACC is very winnable. I really do. And, and that's not to say that Florida State isn't very good or that Clemson isn't going to be a factor. But I just have a lot of question marks. Like, as good as Florida State was last year, I don't know what DJ is going to be. Keon Coleman's not there anymore. Jordan Travis isn't there anymore. Guys that were staples in their undefeated ACC title season aren't there anymore. Louisville, yeah, they, they played for the ACC last year, but, I mean, they bring in upwards of 20 new guys. What's the hit rate on 24-plus transfers? I don't know. We'll see. Clemson, I've had questions about them for the last two years. What are they going to be? Are we seeing this continual decline of them under Dabo Sweeney? I don't know. The bottom line is all the question marks you have about Miami, I think you can make as many question marks about other competitors in the ACC. So with that being the case, man, I'm excited about Miami in that way. I think the ACC uh, is anyone's ballgame. Last thing I'll say here, I trust Mario Cristobal. There are some people that may have sold their stock on Mario Cristobal, and that's fine. But I think it's, it's hard to quantify the personal factor for him when it comes to Miami, because he's seen Miami when they're the U, right? Like he's, he's, he's seen those kind of things happen in Coral Gables. Like he has the blueprint to get there. And when it's personal for you, when it means a little extra something to you, and you're in charge of the entire operation, think of the lengths that you'll go to to elevate your football team. You're probably getting a little bit extra time in the film room. You're probably putting a little bit more attention to that calendar and that's not to say anything of any other coach in college football and how much attention they do or don't pay. But I'm telling you, from Mario Cristobal, man, we talked to him um, last spring, I believe it was, just about Miami and just the way they're trending. And he told us off air, he's like, listen, man, it's, it's been a long time. I'm pouring every single ounce of myself into making Miami what they have been previously. So, again, it's, it's just lip service at this point for us telling you what Miami's going to be, but I, I think the trend they're at is interesting. I think Mario Cristobal and his personal investment there is interesting, and um, I think the ACC as a whole is very interesting. So add Cam Ward to the mix. Miami could be a player 
in 2024. What they were in the 80s, I wouldn't worry about that. I'm excited to see what they are in 2024. So Miami, will they be a powerhouse again? I don't think we're that far removed from those days being possible again in Coral Gables. We're not predicting it. We're just saying it's not off the table. Uh, let's move to another unpopular take here. Uh, Buff Fuel hit us up. They say Colorado is going to run the Big 12. Again, this is an unpopular take that Buff Fuel has, but they strongly believe in. That was kind of the prompt for this whole thing. So what do we think about this? We'll talk about it right now. Make sure you're subscribed right here to the On3 YouTube channel. Talking college football every single day as we are right now. I want y'all a part of it. If you're watching this as a one-off video, it's from our live shows. We do three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Get in the live chat. We have a good time. We appreciate y'all in advance for being subscribed, for being a part of this. So, Buff Fuel, again, he says Colorado is going to run the Big 12. Colorado went 4-8 and eight last year, so that's probably why this probably falls on the uh, more unpopular side of your takes. But let's, uh, let's take a deeper look at this, because I think there's a case for what's being said here. The Big 12 has lost two of the most talented rosters in the conference with Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, Shuler Sanders, you could argue, is as talented of, of a quarterback as anyone else in the country, or at least in that conversation. And the skill players for Colorado are freakish. Like, Travis Hunter is a one-of-one. One. Let's not get it twisted. They got a lot of really talented pieces at Colorado. So if that were the points you're leaning on, I wouldn't disagree with you in the sense that, yeah, those things are all in Colorado's favor. My concerns about Colorado, though, are probably similar to others in that I saw a team start 3-0 and last year and finish 1-8. and And it, I don't think Colorado was just severely outmatched in every single game, but the thing that concerns me is the consistency in the losing. Like, yes, they were in a lot of those games outside of the Oregon game, but my concern is the string of losing makes me feel a certain way about how they respond to things. And I'm not telling you I understand the makeup of that locker room or that I you know, know exactly what Coach Prime is saying to those guys. Like, I'm, I'm not questioning that. I'm saying they have uh, shown that when things didn't go their way, they had a tough time getting back on track. So my question is, do they have the stamina to lose a game here, lose a game there, and bounce back and win the next game? Because last year they showed they did not have that in-house. And with how much you're drawing from the portal if you're Coach Prime, it's great to go to the portal and bring in proven commodities, but the culture of things I think really matters. Like the culture for Michigan, along with the fact they had double-digit NFL dudes on their roster, is why they won the national title last year. Like that makes a difference when the margins are close. And so Colorado is still trying to get the talent margins to where they need them to be at and trying to get the, the culture to where it needs to be at. Because the functionality for me is also a question. And I've said this a couple of times, and the response has been, well, a lot of places lose coaches. Like, the, the, the way that coaches left Colorado, to me, last year was concerning. Um, and again, people are going to say, well, J.D., when other coaches leave places, you don't get after them. We do. But the thing that I think is the most concerning is you have coaches being demoted Sean Lewis from OC to no longer being your offensive coordinator to leaving Colorado to getting a head coaching job so obviously the opinion of Sean Lewis within the Colorado bubble was very different than his market value in college football that's a red flag to me that's major major concern to me I don't like the way that looks so the functionality at Colorado is something I'm still questioning I'm not saying I know. I'm just saying I'm questioning it. There's things that point to it not being the most functional place right now. Now, it could be. Definitely could be. But that's my concern. Last thing. 
the line of scrimmage has to meet the price of admission in not just the Big 12, but like power conference college football, period, if you want to compete at the highest level. If you want to run the Big 12, like this take is insinuating they would like to, and I'm sure Coach Prime would like to, you have to be better up front. Because last year, the line of scrimmage gave up like almost 50 sacks, I think it was. Y'all, it's ridiculous. And Coach Prime is saying during the season, like, hey, we're going to go get new linemen. Again, red flag when it comes to functionality. I don't know that you want to say that in a press conference. Your prerogative, totally your call. It's his football program. He knows more about his team than I do. But I'm just saying that's concerning to me. You went and got six transfer portal offensive linemen. That's great. I love it. I think that's awesome to go and get more talented players. Hopefully, only one of those six graded out above a three-star for us here. So they, they could be upgrades. I don't think it's, it's a stretch to say that you're getting better than 50 sacks last year. But again, that's concerning to me. It's concerning that we're not going out and, and able to get more quality uh, offensive linemen in that sense. So again, we'll see how quality they are when they actually play games. You got Jordan Seaton. That was massive. Big-time offensive tackle, five-star cat. Like I expect him to play right away, but I still have concerns about the offensive line. Is that transfer portal hall plus uh, Jordan Seaton? Does that just fix the offensive line? It's the same question. Yes, they've been active in the portal, the defense side of the ball too. They allowed 176 yards rushing a game last year. Is that really just a transfer portal fix? Just you go and get some guys, bring them in, and we're better? I don't know. It's my concern, and uh, it has to change if they want to compete in the Big 12. But again, if they are able to take that leap culturally, and able to gel with those transfers, especially when things don't go their way, they're going to be in good shape. If they can have those guys that came via the portal up the level of play in the line of scrimmage, they're going to be in good shape. you got a great quarterback, got a lot of good skill players. And I'll say this too, we've said it a couple times, but I'll say it one more time. Deion Sanders, and whatever he does in the college football world, the ripple effect, especially when it's good, 10x. Like, talk about when they were 3-0 and to start the season, you had college game day coming to town for the Colorado State game. College game day doesn't come to town when you're playing a G5 opponent, typically. That's not really their style. So just the, the, the spotlight they have, if they're able to have success and then have that correlate on the recruiting side of things, the talent acquisition side of things, it could, tra- it could change in a hurry. That's all I'm going to say. It could change in a hurry. But uh, this take, obviously, is unpopular for a reason we appreciate Buffy will call on their shot and uh we'll see where they stand here when it comes to the fall we got some question marks like everybody everybody's got question marks at this point in the year but even with that being said that's how we feel about Colorado here moving forward uh last unpopular college football take that you strongly believe in is from our guy the Ian Fritz show now this was a take that I was hesitant to approach and it'll make sense here in a second but it got a lot of likes under our reply thread. So that's one of the reasons we're addressing it because a lot of y'all actually agreed with this take. The Ian Fritz show says the army Navy rivalry is overrated. Now, full transparency. I disagree with, I, I disagree with this on a very strong level. All right. I disagree with this wholeheartedly. I think army Navy rivalry is the best rivalry in sports. If not one of now, the reason why I think this is being said, I can understand because the product of the game itself, if you're just a casual you know, college football fan or you're just a casual sports fan, period, and you just turn on a game and you see these scores in the fourth quarter, 15-0, 17-13, 20-17 in double overtime, 17-11. Those are not the most entertaining games in the world. Those are not must-see TV kind of uh, you know, views, if you will. Also, to take it another step, like the dudes that you're watching play ball... 99% of those guys 
aren't going to be playing in the NFL next year. So you're not watching, you know, the best of the best from a talent perspective. You're not watching the most entertaining game. But here's why I disagree with the take that Army-Navy is overrated for a couple of reasons. One, it isn't just about the game being played. It's not just about what's happening between those white lines. And that sounds cliche, but I'm telling you, having been to this game, that experience, it, it encapsulates everything that we love about college football. I say we, whether you're an SEC fan, whether you're a Big Ten fan, whether you root for a G5 school, Army-Navy encapsulates why we love this sport. Because when you go to that game, you step into that building, and you see the cadets in the stands, and you, you hear the buzz, you see the flyover, like the pageantry, the pride, the passion, all of those things are second to none. Second to none. And this is coming from a guy who I went to Michigan, Ohio State. I guess it was two years ago. We went to the shoe and saw that one in person. That game was electric. Nothing bad to say about that. I think you make an argument for that being the greatest rivalry in sports. But I'll tell you, the atmosphere at Army-Navy, it's a whole other beast. It's a whole other beast. And the other part of this, too, I mentioned the guys that aren't playing in the NFL. That's definitely a factor. But think about what that means then for those players. Those dudes are going to go serve in the military, which is a whole other aspect of this thing that should be noted and should be taken into account here. But you talk about the meaning of a game like this for those guys, how much it means to play college football to them, knowing they're not going to play past college. I mean, that in itself, I think, is the most pure form of what this sport is. The environment's special. The rivalry itself is unbelievable in terms of how year-round it is. Like, nowhere else in the country do you break it down on beat, and then it's the other school. Beat Army, beat Navy is what they say after every game. If Army plays Fordham, they sing the alma mater, then they say beat Navy. Other, other rivalries, I understand, they're year-round as well. The Iron Bowl, um, Georgia, Georgia Tech, um, Florida, Florida State. Like, all those rivalries, obviously intense and year-round, but you don't say the other school's name when you finish practice and break it down. So I'm not here to, to say anything less of other rivalries, but I am saying Army-Navy is not overrated in the slightest. And I'm not coming after anybody here. I'm just saying the Army-Navy rivalry is everything that's right with college football. The atmosphere is special. And being able to go to that game several years ago, uh, you, can't, you can't put into words the atmosphere and how much that means to both sides of that thing. So Army-Navy is... For our money here, not overrated, but I understand if the TV product desires uh, or leaves something to be desired, hey, there's no pushback here. There's no pushback, but we obviously feel a little bit differently here on this show. Hey, everyone that's tuned in live, we appreciate you tremendously. If we could like the video, that would be phenomenal. And the reason why we ask that, it helps boost the algorithm for us to grow this platform for more people to see the show. And also, it gives us a better gauge of what you want to see. Like, if you're subscribing and liking to this channel, um, it helps us get more data on the kind of content that you like. Not going to hit you in the in, on the inbox or blow up your phone. Like, it just honestly helps us create a better quality product for you. So, thank you so much for that. Move right along here. Uh, those of y'all that have been tuned to this show for any period of time, you understand we've been doing something here called Hard Count Meetings. And hard count meetings here are similar to exit interviews when it comes to the college football world. We didn't call them exit interviews because that implies that someone is being fired. When you say the word exit, it just kind of provides a weird word association. But an exit interview essentially is what you have at the end of the college football season. If you're a player, you go meet with your position coach, and they kind of give you an uh, all-encompassing view at how you are viewed as it pertains to their program. So we have a program right here, which is this show of the hard count. We appreciate you all being a part of it. Make sure you're subscribed. Let's talk about 
the uh, current status, how we're viewing Nebraska and head coach Matt Rule. Last year, full of heartbreak. There's no way around it. There's a need for differentiation, though, from what happened last year than what's happened in the past couple of seasons in Lincoln. Because last year was 7-5, 5-1 score losses. Four of those came in the last four games, which ripped your heart out because you were thinking it was time to be bowl eligible. And quite frankly, it was. But there's going to be a lot of people that see what happened last year and say, oh, same old Nebraska. This always happens. Doesn't matter who's the head coach, we're cursed. That's going to be the attitude. And I understand the sentiment because, I mean, hurt people say hurtful things, and I, and I get that, but is it more likely that Nebraska's cursed and they can't get over the hump? Or is it more likely that maybe it was a first-year head coach with the team that's early in their development figuring out how to win close ball games? Because Matt Rule, to be clear, he wasn't there for a lot of those one-score losses in the previous years. He wasn't there for any of those one-score losses in previous years. He was there for this past season and those five one-score losses. It's a bad look. But like when you look at what Matt Rule has done overall throughout his career, year one's always the most turbulent. It's usually a, a three-year build to get to where you know the pinnacle of this team is going to be. Look at his track record. At Temple, the first year, 2-10. 2-10 makes 5-7 and seven look awesome, just to be clear. Uh, third year there, they won 10 ballgames. First year at Baylor, they were ground zero. They were in a much worse place than Nebraska was. Third year, won 11 ballgames, played in New Year's Six Bowl, competed for the conference championship. It takes some time. Now, again, Nebraska's at a much better jumping off point than both Temple and Baylor were. But the thing with Matt Rule and the reason why you brought him to Nebraska is because he's a builder. He's a builder. We've seen it time and time again throughout the course of his career. He builds the foundation. And then once that foundation is laid, that's when you start to see real progress. So don't let the construction site of laying the foundation and all of the ugliness that goes into building deter you from what's eventually going to be built there in Lincoln. Because that's what Matt Rule has done again, throughout the course of his career. So what I would do here, if I'm a Nebraska fan, I would focus on trajectory. You didn't hire Matt Rule for 2023. You hired him for the long haul. And the long haul involves trajectory. So what, what can we talk about when it comes to the future at Nebraska? Well, this past season, went five and seven, we're in position to play in a bowl game if you had been able to win one of those one-score games to end the year. You were 132nd in the country in turnovers a game. Did not have a quarterback that threw more touchdowns than interceptions. It's not a good look. But here's the deal. That's not going to last. That is an anomaly. That is a one-year deal for Matt Rule. That is a first-year deal for Matt Rule. Your offense averaged 18 points a game. I would be wildly surprised if that stayed the same for Matt Rule and company going forward. And again, they still found a way to be 5-7 and seven and to be in one-score ballgames. Y'all, if you score 18 points a game... You should not be in one-score ball games. You should be getting boat raced. That wasn't the case for them. Had a great defense last year. Tony White, he's back for another year as the D.C. Had schools wanting him to be their head coach. Back to be the D.C. for them. Had one of the best defenses, I believe, in America. Going back to what they were offensively, they played three different quarterbacks last year. Couldn't get it right. <laughs> Couldn't get it right. I mean, Purdy had a good stretch to end the season for the most part. Like, he, he showed some things, but like, it was a revolving door at quarterback. There was no stability at the most important position on your team. And still, went 5-7 and seven with a chance to make a bowl game. Now, chances are only as good as you take advantage of them. But even with that being said, talk about trajectory, that has to excite you because you bring in one of the top quarterbacks from the 2024 cycle in Dylan Raiola. 
All right, now, will he be a copy-paste, five-star kind of cat from the high school level to a five-star kind of quarterback at the college level? I think that's probably a little bit of uh, ambitious thought to have. But to just have better raw materials at quarterback that you can develop, that you can build around, that can maybe make that extra play for you that those other quarterbacks just quite frankly couldn't from a talent standpoint, that should excite you. That is exciting stuff in Lincoln. That's something you haven't had there in a long, long time. So I'm not telling you they're going to win the Big Ten this upcoming season. I'm not telling you they're going to win the Big Ten in year three. But I am saying when you look at the trend for Matt Rule in Nebraska, that has to be encouraging. Last year hurts because it's familiar. Last year hurts because it felt like years previous. But last year was the jumping off point for Matt Rule. Look at, I just, I just said, he's, I mean, he won two games in Temple his first year. One game at Baylor his first year. They won five his first year at Nebraska. He is a builder. They're laying the foundation. And this is something that Matt Rule preaches having been in his meeting rooms. He talks a lot about process. That is the word for him. Embrace the process, trust the process, work the process, all those things. Process, process, process. Process doesn't usually provide early results. A process you have to put into for some time, and then you get results. So again, Matt Rule was not hired for 2023. He was hired for the process that he is implementing at Nebraska, that they are currently going through and embracing. And I think you'll see results here if you trust the process and embrace the long term. So for Matt Rule and company, I wouldn't be overly concerned about this past season. Is it fun to have this same taste in your mouth of close losses and missing a bowl game? No. Nobody signed up for that. I promise you, Matt Rule didn't sign up for that. But this is just step one. They're laying the foundation. The fun part is when they start stacking more bricks once that foundation is laid. And I think you'll end up seeing that here in the not-too-distant future. And signing one of the top quarterbacks from the 2024 class, it's a pretty solid brick to lay down. Tell you what, man, the Dylan Raiola hype, as soon as he throws a touchdown... In Lincoln, like, that place is going to lose their ever-loving mind. I'm all about it, man. I'm here for it. Nebraska fans, y'all have been electric for us on this show, so we appreciate y'all being dialed in, man. Appreciate y'all being a part of this. So we'll keep a good thing going now. All right, got one more segment to get to. I don't believe this is dated just yet, so we'll keep an eye on what's going on in the in the college football and NFL world. Um, but make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you've liked the video, and we will uh, keep a good thing going here on this platform. But as I was saying... Get in the live chat, or we're going to get to some of your questions here in just a few short minutes when we bring on the heavy lifter, Nick Brake. All right, let's get to this now. Uh, there are reports coming out that Jim Harbaugh and the LA Chargers are within striking distance, that was the verbiage that was used, of nearing a, uh, a deal to make him the next head coach in LA. Now, this is not surprising to anybody. If you're a, if you're a Michigan fan, it's kind of like the other guys. Like Mark Wahlberg saying, I'm a peacock, you got to let me fly. That's what Jim Harbaugh is saying. I'm a peacock, you got to let me go fly to the NFL. More power to him. You appreciate that. You love that. You say, thank you for the memories and thank you for the national championship trophy. Thank you for that banner. Let's keep a good thing going. But how do you keep a good thing going? That's the thing I want to talk about. Yesterday, we mentioned the smoke and, and the buzz around Brian Kelly's name seemingly being thrown around. Again, talk to people close to Michigan, and they say there's no truth to that. Brian Kelly also said himself, this is my last stop here at LSU. So I want us to just stand on the table one more time, if we can, and tell you Sharon Moore should be the next head coach at Michigan. Should be the next head coach. And we're beating this drum now for probably the third or fourth time, but I think it's important because if you look outside of those four walls at Michigan, you are making a devastating mistake 
because what will happen is you will lose players to the portal and you will not have the opportunity to go to the portal and bring in a similar level of quality of player to your roster. So you'll decimate your roster at the cost of hiring some big name head coach. Because for Michigan, that's the temptation, right? You would imagine with that brand and with what they're doing right now in the college football landscape, the momentum they have, they could swing big. They could. I'm just telling you right now, they could swing big and bring in some big name. But what's the point of that if you decimate your roster and hit the reset on your, what your college football prowess is right now or, or where you are in the college football landscape? It's a fool's errand. What's made Michigan Michigan is their way of doing things. We, we say it a lot on here. It's almost cliche. Process, culture, the day-to-day, the standard, all those things. They're cliche because they're true. And Jim Harbaugh has put those in place you know who's helped put those in place? Sharon Moore. Sharon Moore has helped uphold that and keep that. And also, he's got head coaching experience. He's beaten Ohio State. He's beat Penn State already. With the weight of the world on their shoulders, he was the head coach to lead them through that three-game stretch. And so what I'm trying to tell you here is, yes, it'll be an, a calibration period for Sharon Moore going from the OC to being the head coach, but I'm telling you, that is well worth the price of the calibration to keep that process and keep that culture intact. Because you can go out and sign great players. You can go and recruit well. You can go to the portal eventually and land the top guys. But that's the easy part, right? Like getting someone to sign their name on the dotted line overall, like that's that happens in a, in a matter of minutes. But to have a championship culture and to have buy-in, that takes time. That takes an offseason. That takes several off-seasons. And so the credibility that Sharon Moore has with this team creates buy-in. I believe there would be a very big uh, objection if he weren't made the head coach. But I don't want to dismiss the fact that it would be a, uh, a change in terms of style. I think it has to be a change of style. And what I mean by that is leadership to me, and I think just in general, is most effective when it's authentic. And so Sharon Moore won't walk in there and try and be Jim Harbaugh. He just won't. And he shouldn't. He's not Jim Harbaugh. He's Sharon Moore. He's his own coach. And I think leaning into that and developing that as a head coach is going to be the key thing for him and being able to, you know, have his own style when it comes to addressing the team and having his own style when it comes to their calendar. So having the same fundamentals and, and putting pedal to the metal on what Jim Harbaugh did well and keeping those intact, but also having it be Sharon Moore's Michigan and that transition, that could take some time. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not saying that's not going to be a reality, but the fact that he has a good understanding of what Michigan is right now and what makes Michigan Michigan, quite honestly, in the context of this 2024 college football season, that has to be noted. That has to be a reality for him. So what to expect from him if he does become the next head coach, I think you can expect from him the same thing that Michigan's been in the past couple of seasons. Line of scrimmage football team. Going to play tough in the trenches. Probably run a pretty similar style of offense with him being the OC from last year. Probably the same kind of operation this upcoming season. What does the staff look like? No idea. But I can tell you, I think the roster, the portal exodus you would see, pretty minimal. I think it'd be pretty minimal. So, overall, last thing we say here. I mean, I have no idea when this Jim Harbaugh news will or won't break. If he does take an NFL job, it sounds imminent. So, I wanted to make sure we said it one more time on this show. Sharon Moore should be your next head coach. And it should happen within a span of 24 hours from Jim Harbaugh if he takes an NFL job. So, with that being said, we'll keep an eye on everything going on in Ann Arbor. Andy Staples has a phenomenal show on this very platform. Make sure you check that out. Uh, There's a podcast version. There's a live version. 
every single weeknight. Um, but he's doing Jim Harbaugh watch. So I would encourage you to engage in Jim Harbaugh watch as well with Andy Staples and uh, everything they have going on there with Andy Staples on three. That's the name of the show, Andy Staples on three. All right, let's, get, let's uh, hear from y'all now. We appreciate y'all being dialed in. Again, like the video if you haven't. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't. We appreciate you so much in advance for that. But let's get to uh, the live chat and get some of your takes, questions, concerns, a little college football therapy, if you will. To break it all down, the keeper of the Q, heavy lifter extraordinaire, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, man? How we doing? What's up, JD? Uh, first thing I want to say, um, Eric said, spending my birthday watching JD and getting great takes on college football. Happy birthday, Eric. Eric, happy birthday, brother. Happy birthday. I'm glad to have you here. Yeah, Glad to have absolutely. you a part of this, man. Program guy. Through yeah. and through. Big Eric. Absolutely. Happy birthday. Um, then we got a super chat from Kenny, um, kind of talking about how, and I want to hear your thoughts on this because I don't think you're going to see uh, eye to eye with Kenny, but regardless, thanks for the super chat. Uh, he, he says Saban decides to give up after, after the playing field got even. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Hey, that's Michigan kinda... fan uh, by the end of yeah, the Yeah, okay. What do you I, think? Well, hey, well, one, we appreciate you adding to the conversation. Um, Nick, as you alluded to, we, we disagree. Nick Saban has continued to, I think, adapt to college football as well as anybody. And the other thought was, well, hey, the playing field got level with NIL. Like, Alabama was crushing it with NIL. Like, I, Alabama was as good as anybody when it came to allowing their players to create value for themselves. So I don't think NIL or the college football playoff is why he's pivoted. I think it's just the GOAT going out on his own terms. Like, they won the SEC this past year after losing in week two. They made it to the college football playoff, and they were a play away from extending that Rose Bowl. Um, like, it is what it is from this past season, but, like, I don't think the expanded college football playoff would have made it more even for other teams. If anything, I mean, is Alabama losing – more than three games a season if we go to the college football expanded playoff like i i have a hard time buying into that like i think if, if saban gets hot if bama gets hot at the right time in the expanded playoff like they would be a force and um yeah so i mean that, that's a whole wormhole to dive down but to be to be clear uh, we disagree with that opinion personally yeah absolutely um we got a lot of good questions uh i'll get to forest in just a second but Eric does get priority since it is his birthday. Do you go. think USC will pull any big names from the spring portal? That's a great question. Um, so I'm just curious to see who's even in there in the spring portal. There's a lot of quarterback rooms that are loaded, obviously, that you would expect to, you know, by the law of nature, maybe some more guys are available. I, I don't know. Uh, it seems like Miller Moss is, is their guy. We'll probably learn more about how they feel about him after the spring period ends. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't think there's any big names that I would speak to right now just because we don't know who's going to be in there, and I don't want to – speculate too heavily but I do think they'll be active like if we know anything about Lincoln Riley he will push the envelope and they will continue to add talent uh by any means necessary including the portal so I think I think they'll be in there I just don't know who will be in there I think they'll be in there I don't know who will be in the portal rather is what I meant to say okay yeah sounds good um so first and foremost I, Forrest Khan, if your name is pronounced Ferris, I've always been saying Forrest, just correct me, please. I appreciate that. Says, guys, your show is addictive. Love it. Keep it up. Thank Heck you very yeah. much. Appreciate it, Big Forrest. Yeah. Uh, says, says let's, let's say JD is a billionaire. <laughs> I, like, I like this already. <laughs> good start. I'm already in. Um, could he convert a MAC team into a perennial playoff participant like a Gonzaga of college football? Ooh. Good I question. like this. I li How would one do that is a question, I guess. Dude, heck yeah. It's a good question. Absolutely. Now, I think the other part of this is like having money is only half the equation. Mm -hmm. You got to have the right GM. 
gonna have the right staff and be able to have like the right culture in place. Because I think talent is half the battle. So the, the answer to the question, like, I think it's possible. Um, will we see it? I don't know. But I think it's definitely, I, th I think you're onto something there is what I want to make sure we say. Talent acquisition, the game is changing so much to where if you can be competitive in the NIL space, you can probably compete for top players. It's half the battle. It's not, it's not the only thing that matters, but it's a, it's a big factor. Um, I almost jumped down another wormhole there because we had an unpopular take that I wanted to get to uh -huh. at some point in the near future. Um, it's somebody saying Harvard could be a college football powerhouse or win a national championship or something like that if they wanted to, which I think is implying the same thought like, hey, alumni base with deep pockets as deep yeah. as anybody in the country, <laughs> if they wanted to go and acquire the top guys, like what's stopping them from doing that? The, the short answer there is academic standards would kind of create a little bit of problems there and also the fact they're an FCS school. But with that being said, I think the thought isn't that far off from, uh, from where we're headed. Yep, absolutely. That's a fun take. Uh, Forrest also says, got to wait till October for uh, his birthday to get the first question. We're there. My birthday's there. also in October. We'll celebrate together. Um, next question. October 1. Yep. Yes, yep. sir. Any yes, anniversary. Sir. Absolutely. Yes, it is. I don't want to give away too much personal information on this show, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can... There's hopefully there's no database that can find me from just my birthday alone. Um, but next question coming from OG Gary. Do you think the ACC is now the old Big Ten, meaning two good teams and the distance third good team like Penn State? I see the logic there. I just think there's there's so much shifting year in and year out. Like I view Miami differently than we did last year because they went and got Cam Ward through the portal. Um, what if Cam Ward went somewhere else in the ACC like NC State this past season? Do we view them differently? I, I think... I don't think it's quite as top-heavy as maybe the the Big Ten was viewed. And the problem with the Big Ten being viewed as top-heavy was you just had two schools that were routinely in that college football playoff conversation to where it kind of took some of the shine away from really good football teams in their own right, like Illinois was last year, like uh, Wisconsin is pretty consistently, like um, Iowa is if they can develop an offense. Like There's a lot of really good football being played in the Big Ten. It's just the fact that you got two teams that are getting the most national shine that gives us this perception of, okay, those are the only good two teams, those are the only elite teams in the conference, where in reality, I don't know that's really the case. Um, next question. We got a few more, JD. I know I love we're it. a little late on time. No, you're great. Um, we got a couple more. Bart Smokey says, um, <laughs> on three with on three's PD portal, predicting Jabbar Muhammad to Oregon, assuming he commits, where could we see Oregon's defense rank? Yeah, that's, I mean, that would be a massive get if they PD got Portal. <laughs> that would be massive. Um, where would they rank defensively? I'll just say this. I think good enough. <laughs> I think good enough for what you would need. I mean, he's, he is a lockdown corner that I think a lot of people got to see towards the end of last season by the nature of Washington having some really big games. I mean, the Oregon game, obviously, in the Pac-12 game was big. Um, the way that he played against Texas in, the, in that uh, college football playoff semifinal was big. Like, that's a big fish now. So if he goes to Oregon, that would be the ultimate, like, to use the Star Wars reference for you here, Nick, that would be the ultimate joining the dark side for, for you know, the, the rival school for Washington for him to go to Oregon. But, I mean, that defense, I think, is going to be good enough to get it done next season in the Big Ten. I don't expect anything for them to, like, take a step back, being in a new conference or, or any of that. I think that take is a little bit over overdone. Like, oh, they're going to the new conference, so it's going to take some time for them to get their feet set. Mm -hmm. Maybe for a school like UCLA – Maybe a school like USC. I don't think that's the case for Oregon. I think it's the case for Texas either when they go to the SEC. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Good, good stuff, question, man. Bart. And uh, shout out to uh, going with PD Portal. I like uh, yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't reference on. that. That's yeah. good stuff. 
JD, instead of doing it, let's go like a little bit of a speed round because we have a lot of great questions. Great, yeah. Um, first and foremost, a uh, question from Nicholas Gadsden. How far do you think FSU can go in the college football playoffs, and are they a favorite to win the ACC championship again? I think they should be a favorite. Um, how far can they go as far as DJU allows them to go? That's my, that's my, my thought there. And the skill players, too. Skill players have to step up. That was big for them last year. Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, those dudes were studs. Uh, can they recreate that explosiveness offensively and be balanced? Awesome. Chris C., uh, just subscribed to the show and made my – or excuse me, just discovered the show and made sure to subscribe. Welcome, Chris C. Appreciate it, Chris C. Uh, what do you think the future looks like for my Georgia Southern Eagles coach, Clay Helton, who coach we all Clay know is USC's Helton. old coach? Uh, stay for a while, or do you think this is a, a spring job to move back up in the ranks of college football? I have to believe he wants to take another high-profile job. Now, now, can he? Obviously, depends on what jobs are available and how things trend with Georgia Southern in the future. Um, to answer your question, I don't think he stays at Georgia Southern long-term would be my personal feel on it. Uh, Clay Helton, though, for those of y'all that remember, was a head coach at USC. Heck, won a Rose Bowl at USC. Um, have some friends that played for him that speak highly of him. I think he's probably bound for another power conference job here in the not-too-distant future. But, Chris C., appreciate you subscribing. Hey, that is a byproduct of y'all liking the show and boosting the show so people like Chris C. can find it. So appreciate y'all and appreciate Chris C. for uh, being dialed in with us, man. Glad you're here. Yeah, and uh, Clay Helton's brother, Tyson Helton, coaches for my uh, yeah. alma mater, Western Kentucky. Hey, they, they got <laughs> they got Bama next year. Big, uh, they do. big pickup in the portal for them, TJ Finley. <laughs> yep. Yep, here we go. It's going to be fun. Here we go. Uh, a couple more, J.D., in the speed round. Love Jay it. Burke. JD, how do you believe we can fix NIL and make embarrassingly rich game pay? Excuse me, and make the embarrassingly rich game pay these players instead of the rich boosters and fans? You know the one that keeps coming up, and I think is a great solution: revenue sharing. Mm -hmm. There's enough to go around. That TV money is, is a fat cap, man. We can't share a little bit with the players. I think the bowl games would be a great place to test that out and see if we can't maybe uh, keep some of these high-profile names staying in those games. Revenue sharing feels like the most obvious solution there. Now, I don't pretend to know all the red tape we got to jump through to get there, but revenue sharing feels like the first item on the docket I would, I would address. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. That's a good, it's a long, that would be a tough one to get into, but it's a really great question. Sure. Um, Tyler Gilbert, how many games do you see Billy Napier lasting this year? Tyler says three. Three games? Hey, if he's going to last three games, then I, I think you probably waited three games too long if that's all he's getting. Like mid-September. Yeah, dude, that's, that's a tough, that's a, that's a tough, uh, tough timeline to give him there, Tyler. How long does he last? I would let him go this season. I really would. Um, the SEC is just brutal, man. It's absolutely brutal, and the, the team he inherited wasn't exactly ready-made for success, and that's not to throw shade at Dan Mullen. It's just the reality. Like, it's, it's an uphill climb to reach success in the SEC, especially when your roster isn't what it needs to be to win. So, I mean, I, I'm holding out some hope, I think, for Florida and for what Billy Napier is. I mean, if Graham Mertz takes another step in a second year in Gainesville, that could be massive. Eugene Wilson, I thought, was a tremendous bright spot for them. They were in a lot of games last year, too. I mean, they found a way to lose the Arkansas game, um, found a way to lose the Missouri game, but you, you kind of switch those games and, and the endings, you give an alternate direct, director's cut to those endings. Florida's seven and five in a year they were supposed to miss a bowl game. Like, I think they're they're not as far off as people want to pretend they are. But if if you're giving them only three games, then I think you've probably uh, probably waited too long. If that's your opinion on Billy Napier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Big Red's catching some strays in the chat right now. Dang. 
Uh, the Vikings mascot. <laughs> Why? What are they saying? What's, what's <laughs> no, Chris C said uh, the fighting grimaces. Very true. The oddly resembles uh, the old the mascot. fighting grimaces. The Mac- McDonald's mascot. Uh, <laughs> two more speed round questions, JD. The King. JD. The King is in the chat, so congrats. Uh, what do you think of Alabama's coaching hires? I like Kane Womack. I think that was a very self-aware hire to be the D.C. For those of y'all that don't know, South Alabama head coach Kane Womack is going to be the D.C. for Alabama. That was good because there's SEC ties there. or Yeah, I guess there's SEC ties there. He was at Ole Miss for a minute. Um, there's Southern ties that are more importantly for the recruiting side of things. That's the big thing for me is like, how are they going to recruit? Now, if you have success this upcoming year in the SEC, that might be a little bit easier but Kalen DeBoer as a coach, I have no questions about. Ryan Grubb as an OC, I have no questions about. My question is, are they going to be able to recruit in that top five range to compete with the Georgias, the Texases, the other teams that have to beat in the SEC to be able to compete at a tier one level still? So mm-hmm. I like the hires so far. Yes. Uh, I'm curious to see how they're able to recruit. Uh, final question, JD. Uh, Brad, or excuse me, Brett. Um, which stinks because Brad also asked a question. So I, uh, well, I have to get to that one too. Uh, there we go. But they go and they, they kind of are connected. So we'll, we'll do that. Do you see any negative impact on Rayola or Dylan Rayola being treated as the savior for Nebraska so soon? Sitting with AD coaches at, brass, at basketball games, getting floor seats, added pressure to the locker room, uh, maybe some locker room jealousy? Uh, I don't think necessarily that. Like, anytime you bring a five-star cat to your school, especially a place like Nebraska who doesn't routinely land five stars, like, there's going to be a little bit of a, a certain air about them. Um, mm-hmm. Now, your your five-star quarterback getting to sit floor seats at a college basketball game, I don't think that's wildly unheard of. Um, here's the deal, man. If, if you come in and, and you are a good teammate and you take care of business and you do what you're supposed to do on the field, like, things take care of themselves. Same thing you heard about Nico Yamaliava. There was all these rumors about – hey, is he making $8 million in NIL and he's number one player in the 2023 cycle and all that? And then, like, he gets to the locker room, does what he's supposed to do, keeps his head down. Players love him. So I think it can be the same thing for Dylan Raiola. Um, the pressure for him is enormous, but I think he signed up for that and I think yep. he knows what it is. Yeah, well, I mean, and hey, there is a lot of pressure on Dylan Raiola and there could be locker room jealousy, but not with the GOAT Matt Rule. Not I with think the GOAT Matt Rule. The kind of coach made for that, right? There we go. That's what it feels like, man. Culture, culture, yep. culture. He majors in that. Yep. No, and I no think way that's going to take care of it. Um, Brad, this is the last question. Did Nebraska win the offseason so far? Um, Ooh, maybe that's by a good question. Dylan in. That is a good question. We'll get to that right now. Hey, Nick, I appreciate you, brother. Same time tomorrow? Same time tomorrow. Great questions. A good uh, energy in the chat. Um, let's do it again. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, has Nebraska won the offseason? I think they have won moments of the offseason. There's still some time to go in the offseason, to be real, so we'll see what happens in that second portal window. I mean, I think if, if you told Nebraska fans at, you know, let's say halfway through the college football season, hey, regardless of how this year finishes, you're landing Dylan Riola. Are you good with that? If that's all that happens for you this offseason, are you okay with that? They would say, absolutely. You kidding me? That What that means for the future of Nebraska? Absolutely massive. Absolutely massive. A tone setter probably attracts more talent in that second portal window as well to Nebraska to be able to play with a guy like him. So um, I think it's tough to say that they've won the entire offseason just yet, but I think you've done what you need to do so far if you're Nebraska. It's a process. So it's not about, you know, the, the wins along the way. It's about just doing what you're supposed to do to eventually equate to wins 
a little bit later in the season. Um, one more thing I want to get to in the chat, because I just saw this, and we want to make sure we mention it on our way out of here. Uh, Will Rogers transferred from Mississippi State to Washington, was at the national championship game on the sideline. Then you have Kalen DeBoer take the Alabama job. Will Rogers re-enters the transfer portal, and then as of last night is withdrawing from the transfer portal. And I'll just say this, uh, I was really impressed with him from a distance at the national title game. I was walking down the tunnel. I told this on a previous live show. I told this story on a previous live show. I'll tell it again right now. Was walking down the tunnel post-game to get out to the celebration. And as I'm walking down the tunnel, Washington players are walking up the tunnel, the same one that I'm walking down. And so I'm kind of taking a second to let them clear. And obviously, they're super disappointed. Just, just lost the national title game. But Will Rogers was the very first guy to pick his teammates up, give them a hug, pat them on the back, give them some daps, whatever it was like. I was impressed by him having been on campus for all of like 17 minutes to be a leader in that moment for some of those guys and to uh, be a positive impact on those guys in a really low moment. So big key for Washington, talented player for them. Going to um, obviously try and get that thing continuing to head the right direction under Jed Fish, and uh, I'm excited to watch it. But big keep Will Rogers staying in Seattle. Hey, appreciate y'all being dialed in, man. Like the video if you haven't already. We are back on the air tomorrow. More college football talk for you. Going to try and get Pete Nakos on for us, a little Petey Portal action, the guy who's been absolutely just dominating all the portal coverage across the college football landscape. Going to try and get him on this show tomorrow for you. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all. is here say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book right now new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel that's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. 
Facebook.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.